welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast, Patriotic American Citizen. I'm Ted Flint on the BMG Network. You know, we're going to cover a couple of different things. One of them is the Pope and his comments regarding same-sex unions, which if you're Catholic, I was raised Catholic. When I saw this, I couldn't believe that a Pope would actually not just say it, but actually believe it. So we'll talk about that. I, before we get started on some of the, the bigger issues, I <laughs> I got to start with this one headline I saw as I was leaving work today from Reuters. Big, big headline. Donald Trump in a second term would likely install loyalists in key positions in the Pentagon, State Department and CIA. I'm thinking, well, tch, I mean, that's what presidents do. They hire the, the people most loyal to them in high positions. Obama did it. Nobody said anything. Biden has done it, presumably. But when Trump does it, oh my God, it's it's like, this is, this is, we can't let this happen. So their primary allegiance would be to Donald Trump, allowing him more freedom than in his first presidency to enact isolationist policies and whims, says this writer. This is not an op-ed piece. This is a hard news story that, that obviously is biased and slanted. Graham Slattery is the, the lead writer, Simon Lewis Phil Stewart and some other woman, I can't even pronounce her first name. Her last name is Ali. So they combined on this piece of garbage. So the result would let Trump make sweeping changes to the U.S. stance on issues ranging from the Ukraine war to trade with China. Isn't that what presidents are supposed to do? Executives execute the laws of the land and they implement their own foreign policy objectives. This is... But this is like a big, oh, this is terrible. Then they went on and talked about his first term. But having more loyalists in place would allow Trump to advance his foreign policy priorities faster and more efficiently than he was able to do when previously in office. And they think this is a problem. That's the whole idea. Presidents, you know, get to decide what policies they want to pursue. They have different ideas, different objectives. Because Trump's is different than Obama's and Biden's, somehow that's a problem. You see, the media is flipping out here because they know what's going to happen this November. They know it. There's nothing really anybody can do about it on the left. They're going to try to steal the election again, as they did in 2020, but they're not going to do it this time. Not this time. Trump's leading in all, if not all the swing states that Biden beat him in in 2020, five out of the six, and some polls have him leading in all six. So, I mean, the, the media is already flipping on, on uh, Trump because they know they can't arrest him. Tucker Carlson says if they, take, if they put him in prison before the election, this country will burn. It will burn. Trump will not be put in prison. Just one more, uh, one more story here about Trump, and then we'll move on to Harvard. Uh, among the, president's, uh, the former president, hopefully future president's proposals on the campaign trail this year, the, Trump has said he would deploy U.S. special forces against the Mexican drug cartels. And the writers of this column here on Reuters think that's going to be uh, that's going to be trouble because it's not going to get the blessing of the Mexican government. Who cares whether we get the blessing of the Mexican government? Trump says he'll deploy special forces, U.S. forces against the Mexican cartels. He'll do it and, and the cartels will be crushed. Who cares what the Mexican government thinks? If they really cared, they wouldn't permit the cartels to do business, right? Unbelievable. Anyway, on to Harvard. 
There have been all kinds of anti-Semitic protests and comments made on campus by some faculty, certainly students, and they're calling for Jewish genocide. And the president of Harvard, this Claudine Gay, has been either unwilling or unable to condemn the calls. And as a consequence, Harvard has seen a 17% drop in early admission applications. That's what's going to do the talking. Money always talks. Early applications are down 17%. That's a four-year low for Harvard, which had almost 8,000 high school seniors applying for undergraduate admission, according to Harvard data, compared to 9,553 last year. Harvard's competitors in the Ivy League are doing better, according to the New York Post. Yale had its second highest early application total in its history. The University of Pennsylvania, another school under the microscope for some anti-Semitic activity on campus, has had more, 500 more applications this year than last. And uh, But more than 30 student groups at Harvard signed a letter claiming Israel was entirely responsible for the October 7th Hamas attacks. So Harvard has not condemned anti-Semitism. More than 1,600 alumni have threatened to halt donations to Harvard. You know, and in my opinion, I don't know, I'm not following this day to day. I don't know what kind of a job Claudine Gay is doing. Evidently, the Harvard uh, muckety-mucks think she's doing well. She's, she's got to go, in my, in my opinion, for what it's worth. Gay has got to go, but of course she won't, because the libs who run Harvard would never think of firing Harvard's first black president. She's black. She's a woman. Check all the right boxes. She's not going anywhere. That's my take on it. Pope Francis has formally approved allowing priests to bless homosexual couples. Of course, the Vatican says same-sex couples, kind of, you know, to tone down the, uh, really what it is, are homosexuals. There's a new document explaining a radical change in Vatican policy by insisting that people seeking God's love and mercy should not be subjected to, quote, an exhaustive moral analysis to receive it. In other words, don't judge people. The document from the Vatican's Doctrine Office, released today, Monday, as I record this, elaborates on a letter Francis sent to two conservative cardinals published in October. In that preliminary response, the pontiff suggested such blessings could be offered under some circumstances if they didn't confuse the ritual with the sacrament of marriage. See, he's, you know, this, he's great for doing these semantic contortions. I mean, you can't dance around this. Homosexuality is a sin. I didn't say it. God said it in the Bible. It's in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, homosexuality is a sin. We can try to sugarcoat it and, you know, airbrush what the Bible said, but there, there's no misinterpreting. Marriage is a sacrament if you're Catholic. It's a sacrament between a man and a woman, period. That's all there is to it. But the Pope is stressing that blessings should not be conferred at the same time as a civil union using set rituals or even with the clothing and gestures that belong in a wedding. You know, he's trying to have it both ways, in my view. The Vatican says requests for blessings should not be denied uh, completely. It offers an extensive definition of the term blessing, in quotes, in this report here, in Scripture to insist that people seeking a transcendent relationship with God and looking for his love and mercy should not be a subject to an exhaustive moral analysis as a precondition 
for receiving it. Now, God loves everybody. He loves homosexuals. He loves sinners, which includes all of us. We all sin. If we didn't sin, we wouldn't need a Savior, would we? But the document said, again from the Vatican, ultimately a blessing offers people a means to increase their trust in God. That's true enough. We need God's mercy. And we're all looking to be closer to God. God loves homosexuals, but it is a sin. And I was always taught growing up as a Catholic, we we hate the sin, but love the sinner. And that's what God wants of us. This Pope is weak. Two years ago, I'm going to finish this report here from Newsmax, the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith said flat out that the church could not bless the unions of two men or two women because God cannot bless sin. Absolutely correct. But then that caused a stir. Some liberal Catholics weren't happy with that. So Francis kind of hedged a little bit. He had technically approved its publication. Soon after it was published, he tried to backtrack. He removed the official responsible for that document. Then he laid the groundwork for, for the reversal. In the new document, the Vatican said the church must shy away from doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, One analyzes and classifies others instead of opening the door to grace. One exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. In other words, judge not lest ye be judged. Look, it's God's church. It's not the Pope's church. His job is to watch over the church and watch over the flock. And uh, the, the, the church is Christ's bride. There can be no union between man and man and woman and woman. Because a union implies a sexual union, a physical union. That is impossible between two people of the same sex. That's all I'm going to say on it. That's just, that's my personal view on it. It seems obvious to me, but I'm not a theologian. I've read some really, really great theologians and I've studied under a couple, but I'm no theologian. So if, you know, if you have any issues with this, consult your priest or your, your pastor. All right. Uh, let's see here. I, I, I wanted to, this may be a little bit too in the weeds about local governance. And I, I got to touch on it because I live in a very rural part of New York State. And localities such as the one in which I live are being just steamrolled by their state governments. And that's the way the left wants it. That's the way liberals operate. They want centralized authority in government. And they want to they take away the voices of, of the people. They want elites to make decisions, or usually left-wing blue state governments like we have here in Albany. Several of these blue states, such as New York, California, Michigan, Illinois, have all passed legislation that consolidates authority over land use issues and rules, and the state-level bureaucrats are making the decisions at the expense of local governments. And they're trying to alter zoning codes to stem the tide, a lot of localities are trying to stem the tide of this industrial green movement, this Green New Deal crap that we're going through, solar and wind farms. A lot of localities have said, you know, that's not for us, but they're being overruled by their state governments. A lot of blue states are depriving rural communities and counties and areas of the ability to reject the massive green energy projects that the corporations, they want to cite in their communities. The big corporations want this. They, much of the renewables business and the movement has been co-opted by big, big corporations. 
They're spending millions, these big corporations, on politics because it's a matter of billions for them. And I'll, this piece here in the, uh, the Daily Caller, since 2020, there have been about 350 local restrictions or rejections of solar and wind projects across the country. That's according to this report, but they're being overruled by their state governments, these left-wing socialist governments like we have here in New York State. All right, one final thing I see. I did the Harvard. I did, we didn't do inflation yet. I want to just, we'll do inflation. It's kind of boring. I mean, it, I don't know what the number is. I don't even pay attention to the inflation numbers because they're not true. I don't care what they say the numbers are. I mean, you know, I do most of the food shopping, as I've mentioned, and it just seems like to me, every item that we like to buy, the food we like goes up 40 or 50 cents every week. So it's not getting better. Gas prices uh, are getting a little better. I, I guessed up for three twenty-seven in in the hood in Troy. Nobody wants to go to this particular gas station because it's difficult to get in and out of, and it's in the hood basically. It's not a, not a great neighborhood, but there's competition where I get this uh, <clears throat> my gas at this one local station. There, there's a Sunoco station up the road. There's a Hess. There's a USA. There's competition. There's no competition. Where I live, there are two stations, two gas stations, two outlets. I won't mention the names, but it's the same two that collude in all these small towns to keep the prices 25 cents higher. I'll mention them. Stewart's and Cumberland Farms. In Cambridge, Salem, Greenwich, Schuylerville, the same two. They're 25 cents higher than everybody else because there's no competition. But to go to a city... Or even a small city such as Troy, and you get competition, and, and the, the consumer benefits. So gas is down to three twenty-seven, but you know, thanks to Biden and his Democratic cohorts, I mean, gas prices are a buck and a half higher than they were under Trump. Inflation is high, interest rates are high, taxation is high. I, I saw on Facebook today, and Janet Yellen seconded this. She agreed that in Biden's new budget, he's introduced, there are four point seven trillion dollars in new taxes. Now, I, didn't, I didn't think the federal budget was even that high, $4.7 trillion. But under grilling from uh, Kennedy in the House, she admitted there are 4.7, and she was under the gun. She was kind of nervous. Maybe there aren't that many new taxes, but she said, yeah, it looks like $4.7 trillion in new taxes in the president's new budget. But anyway, so the Dems, they want, they want certain places to look like America. You know, have more people of color, more diversity, uh, maybe more uh, ethnic backgrounds represented. So ethnicity, race, culture, religion, they just, they think wherever they're living, it doesn't look America enough. But the people saying this are almost always white. They are in our neck of the woods, where I live, up in upstate New York and Cambridge. All the liberals say, you know, this area is just not culturally diverse enough. But I don't see any people of color in the local arts community, not one. But they have issues with our school being too white. Or, you know, I'm sick of it. You know, we fought a war against Democrats to end slavery. Then we spent 100 years fighting the segregation and Jim Crow laws that the Democrats put in place to keep people hating each other because that's what they want. They want us to be divided. That way there we're easily, more easily conquered. You divide and conquer. And they use race to do it. I've mentioned this. They use ethnicity. They use uh, sexual orientation. You name it. You name it. They just hit that race button. They love it. Whether I don't care what it is, whether it's gun control, whether it's taxation, whether no matter what it is, 
you, you can't argue for or against a given policy based on the merits or lack thereof of that policy. They just label it racist. That tactic is supposed to shut down any debate or any information that the liberals find disturbing, like the truth in most cases. They're afraid of the truth. If you label something or someone racist, that ends all debate. Don't let it. Don't don't bite. They're the ones who are racists. As we're finding out with these uh, these major colleges and universities permitting the anti-Semitism to flourish and propagate on their campuses, the real racists and the real anti-Semites have always resided in the Democrat Party. And now we're just beginning to see it. People are actually beginning to wake up and it's, you know, I think it's I think it's a great thing for America. Thank you very much, folks, for tuning us in. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Pac-Man podcast with me, Ted Flint. So if you like what you heard, by all means, hit that like button, hit subscribe, and hit share. And don't forget to listen to all the great programming. And I mean really great programming on the BMG Network. This program airs Wednesdays, usually. My daughter, Madeline, with The Essentials with Maddie Flint, airs on Fridays, uh, tentatively, as uh, we have the the Christmas holiday uh, approaching, and some other really really good broadcasters and columns up there for you under the Pack Perspective. Check them out. The BMGNetwork.com. Want to contact me directly? It's Pacman P A C M A N at the BMGNetwork.com. All lowercase. Thanks for tuning us in. And if we don't talk to you before the Christmas holiday, and I suspect we will, but if we don't, have a Merry Christmas, a blessed Christmas, and we'll talk to you very soon. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG Studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.